0: Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas. For your listening edification, this show has been pre-recorded on Thursday, the 14th of January, 2021, to be rebroadcast on Monday, January 18th, 2021. Martin Luther King Day at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Live in Austin, Texas on KOOP 91.7 FM and streaming live at co-op.org. You can listen live each Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at koop.org. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. This is our 39th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us. And we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned, but first in the battle of ideas, are you ready to go to war? Pedro Gatos in bringing light into darkness Monday news and analysis since we began broadcasting on co-op radio in 2002 has been investigating and seeking to present genuine truth-seeking perspective to U.S. foreign policy impacts around the world, as well as other preventable human-generated behavior that creates or increases human misery in the world. Over the past 18 years, our record speaks to the veracity of our reporting. The impact of U.S. foreign policy in the world, on the world population, is unrivaled in reach and in impact. Our presumption is that the U.S. population is a compassionate and social justice-driven people. That if we know the truth of the matter, we support policies that promote the most fair and democratic outcomes. The problem is, too often, we are misinformed by our government and our mainstream media. Tonight's show is about terrorism, state-sponsored terrorism, and the United States list of state-sponsored terrorist nations. Who makes those determinations and what information is made available to make those judgments? Enjoy and please reflect. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP, Hornsby, Austin. This is your community radio station. This is Bringing Light into Darkness Monday News and Analysis with your host, Pedro Gatos, and my host tonight, Evan Solis. Evan is the producer of a beautiful show on co-op radio, Frontieriza. Tell us when that is, Evan. Tell us what it's about.
1: Sure thing, Pedro. First, thanks for having me on. Always uh, happy to be here on bringing light into darkness, even if it's uh, virtually in this case. But uh, always, always happy to join you and, and uh, contribute whatever I can to your to your mission here on this on this show. Um, yeah. So I produce Frontedisa as you, as you uh, said. Uh, I always. Uh, get a kick out of hearing folks pronounce that uh, that term in different ways, and oh, so it's yeah, hey, it's nothing wrong with trying. So um, but that's
0: abusing me already. Man. That's good.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what you're getting into. And so that's uh, from one to one thirty on Tuesdays afternoon. And um, so yeah, anyone who's interested in. Maybe brushing up on their Spanish or is interested specifically in issues relevant to the Latino community. Check it out.
0: Very good. Thank you so much. Well, listen, we wanted to make sure that you realize you're not a guest. You are a journalist. I wanted people to know that you're actually moving along in your journalism career at the university, as well as having such a great show and having great journalistic skills just from knowing you and visiting with you in the past. So the modality here really is to have you walk us through concerns, questions, observations, and we have a conversation about that. We realize that Secretary of State Pompeo, we reported on this show a few weeks ago that the State Department was evaluating about whether Cuba should be put on this terrorist list. And in this past week, a decision was made. The impetus of that is something that we want to talk about. The other thing we just wanted to remind people... This show is being pre-recorded. It's Thursday, the 14th of January, 2021, and it'll be replayed on Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday, Monday, the 18th of January, 2021. I just thought in the context of what we'll be talking about, his words about needing a a revolution of sorts to overcome these uh, giant triplets of, of racism, extreme materialism, and militarism speak so vibrantly today. Anyhow, so in the context of honoring Dr. King, which we do every week on this show, by our inquiries and our honest attempts to get at the truth, we just wanted to more formally acknowledge that and remind people that one of the most important speeches that he made, I believe, for this time and day is on April 4th, 1967, exactly a year before his assassination. It was Silence is a Betrayal, and it's really worth a reread every year. That being said, let me just turn it over to you, Evan and thanks again for making yourself available
1: yeah well thank you Pedro so you you mentioned it uh, you know the issue that is going to be discussed today is Pompeo's decision to uh, return Cuba to a list uh, a us official list of countries that are considered to be state sponsors of terrorism. I guess just to start off you know you someone who has been to Cuba who spent a lot of time researching Cuba I mean, what what does this even mean? What is the point, you know, from your perspective of doing this? Is there any tangible real-world impact of placing Cuba on this list? Is it more of a symbolic issue? I mean, why are they doing this, do you think?
0: I would suggest that a couple of things. Number one, it's another kind of barricade to jump over for for Joe Biden, our new president-elect, and his administration in order to reverse the actions that were taken this past week, I believe they have to sanction some type of investigation, go through several months of putting together pros and cons of the accusations, and which is a matter of extra work, extra time, and, and that type of thing. But The real reason is a political reason, political economic reason. And it's not just Donald Trump. I mean, there's different degrees, I think, of subverting the truth of Cuba-U.S. relations. And this really goes over the top. Other presidents have put Cuba on the terrorist list. He was, like you said, turning to the list, meaning that at some point they were taken off. I think that was like 2015. But anyhow, when you're in the business of demonizing a country you want to create the types of justifications for that they're not there then you create them and that's largely what this is all about because at the end of the day when you look at the interactions that Cuba has with almost every country of the world, it is marked by solidarity. And I mean, when I mean solidarity, that after Cuba comes and goes, the uh, conditions in which they came are improved. For the majority of populations, and I'm speaking specifically about this medical internationalism program, which is based on the principles not of profiteering, but instead driven by the principle of internationalism, that is a, a major principle of solidarity that shapes Cuba's foreign policy, which Pompeo also sought to slander as an oppression of Cuban doctors rather than its improved health impacts that are so measurable over the last five or six decades.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that that issue of their medical internationalism, I know that the extremely right-wing government of uh, Jair Bolsonaro in, in Brazil, uh, his, his government placed some restrictions on the, the movement on on the movement of Cuban doctors uh, in the country uh, and eventually what ended up happening was that they were uh, they just left the, the, the policy the practice was suspended uh, if I'm not mistaken, which is you know unfortunate for the thousands and thousands of Brazilians that were receiving medical care that they otherwise don't receive. Um, so it's interesting you know just to see even something like that, even a, a medical internationalism uh, is rejected by certain governments just for political reasons. Um i know that pompeo some of the reasoning that pompeo has given for returning cuba to this list is that there are a couple of different ones but some of them is that they're they're giving refuge to criminals so colombian rebels and and also some folks here from the u.s who have been charged with murder essentially you know giving home to quote-unquote terrorists and mm-hmm. um, and that just seems i mean you know from your perspective I mean, is is that hypocritical to, to, to for, for the U.S. to make a claim like that?
0: Well, it's, it's not just hypocritical. I mean, we are in this quote-unquote drug war in Colombia. We are supporting the most human rights atrocious government in the whole Latin America, probably. I mean, there's been hundreds of activists, and when I say activists, people that just want to protect their own land interests and that type Indigenous of thing. Indigenous people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and so you have to really look past the headlines and look at the overall performance of a country. And so basically FARC, who has just been fighting that government, came to the peace tables, and actually Cuba was involved with that facilitation mm-hmm. and such. So I don't pretend to be an expert in these areas, but I can assure you that the real crimes... That are committed are measured or should be measured in in human human life, and not just taking a human life but either increasing or decreasing the misery of living in a country and so I think with the Cuban example or calling out Cuba in Colombia or with the Basque separatists, you know those types of things, there are people that have actually gone to Cuba to escape prosecution, and it's unclear to me whether they're being prosecuted for real crimes or whether they're being prosecuted for revolting against real crimes, right? So if you revolt or if we revolted back in the American Revolution, that would be quite a different kind of perspective than if you were a, let's say, a Contra in Nicaragua where you're getting paid to defeat the people's people's majority well in Nicaragua under the Sandinistas. But the problem is disinformation. So if you don't know history personally, and if you haven't really dove down and really studied it deeply, I'm much more likely to be affected or disaffected by information and and, and believe it. And so these rationalizations are then created. So the question is: Is why do you have to demonize Cuba? I think at the heart of that has to do with the kind of like the competition to have the dominant social system for the world in order to allow the extreme materialism that Dr. King spoke of to persist unchallenged. And anything that is markedly different that is successful by the people that it that's under its governance poses a threat that that idea could spread other places. And so certainly countries like Cuba, and you can just go down the list of all the countries we're sanctioning just about. And when these governments choose to act in a way in which they no longer allow investment capital it's okay for that to come into the country but for not to steal it blind and it's profiteering and and leaving behind pollution and these types of things so as you make certain types of reforms in your government to say look you can come into our country but you need to follow basic environmental laws and we need you to know that we are going to tax you at the same rate that we would tax our own corporations. Well, if that's unacceptable, which it often is, then there are ways to promote a change of government. And and it's interesting when you mention Cuba's medical internationalism because I think it should be looked at when Cuba goes into a country with their medical internationalism and we're talking about they've had more than what 400,000 Cuban healthcare collaborators that have gone over the past 56 years since 1963 that have completed missions in 164 nations of this world and this is according to Ministry of Foreign Affairs in in Cuba that documents those interactions which can be empirically validated but they also have brigades that are specific to unplanned emergencies when there's hurricanes or earthquakes as there was in Pakistan and Indonesia Mexico you know Ecuador where they have some 26 brigades that go out the same types of dedication from these professionals. Over 35,000 people from other countries, developing world, they've been trained in medicine, free of charge in Cuba. And so then you look at what we do in a country... Just what one year of sanctioning Venezuela resulted in forty thousand unnecessary deaths, according to a very reputable economic team of, led by Dr. Mark Weisbrot from Center for Economic and Policy Research. Meanwhile, when when Cuba goes into a country with their medical internationalism, infant mortality goes down. You know, life expectancy goes up. You know, vaccinations are millions of them are dispersed documentably. Millions of lives have been saved and or prolonged. Much of the world outside of the United States knows that. And that is why Cuba is being considered for the Nobel medical prizes at this moment and being nominated for such an award. Anyhow, what do you do when you're in competition about that? What Pompeo has done is he slandered the whole program. And this is what Bolsonaro and his allies, and there's so many of them because they're you know, they're tied at the hip with this financial interest. It's like a, I tell you, Evan, I think it's it's kind of like being a drug addict. You know, you've got that drip coming in, and you cannot go without it. And if you're going to get on the wrong side of Washington, D.C. foreign policy, you are going to lose a lot of money. They have influence in the International Monetary Fund, World Bank, all the other monies that we give to countries in the form of military aid, etc., etc. So, so that's a little bit of the backdrop of those concerns that you were sharing. Mm.
1: You know, I'm wondering what, so you've mentioned earlier, this is, you know, perhaps an attempt to sort of put a stumbling block in front of the Biden administration or the incoming Biden administration has announced that they will attempt sort of a, a thawing process, sort of like what the Obama administration had, had engaged in with Cuba, where they normalized relations for the first time and, or they, or they, they began to open relations for the first time in, you know, some 50 odd years. But I'm just wondering, you know, I know you've certainly not someone who's shies away from criticism of uh, the Obama administration. From your perspective, what was there a real improvement in a relationships between the U.S. and Cuba? And by improvement, I mean from the Cuban perspective, from the island perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it
1: was is there a real tangible difference between what was happening before Trump and, and sort of what is happening now over the past couple of years?
0: Oh, I think definitely there there was improvements. I think when you have a policy of an embargo for the last 50 years that have just asphyxiated that economy. And then you start backing off some of the elements of that, namely being able to send money down to family members and more open travel and opening up the embassy and those types of things. Those are positive changes. But the concern that I would have is that are they positive changes for the sake of doing something positive or is it an acknowledgement that the policies to change the Cuban government, regardless of what the Cuban people think, is still our mission. And we're just going to try to do it a different way by not alienating as many people and appearing to be more cordial. Because millions of dollars are poured into Cuba by the United States Agency for International Development and the National Endowment for Democracy through the State Department that you know, Pompeo, and before him, of course, it was what John Kerry and Hillary Clinton were running. That's never ceased to try to create discontent. Actually, I can tell you a very quick story. I had the pleasure of one of my visits uh, interviewing double agents of of Cuba, mm. of Cuba, in Cuba. And these double agents, they were both women, and they had infiltrated these quote-unquote anti Cuban groups anti-castro groups is what they call them and what they found and, and for one of them is a fascinating story 18 years Evan and, and there are a lot of people most people are loyal to the Cuban government and their and their whole economy and all that and can you imagine if you were of such a, a breed and really was very very patriotic to your country and understood and, and your sister or your brother became a member of inside of these quote-unquote dissent groups right in other words they were basically doing traitorous behavior it's something we would be thrown mm-hmm. in prison for here if we were actively trying to overthrow our government actually taking right. money from right. actually taking money from a nation namely the United States and its advocates US money in order to facilitate that so for 18 years she is seen as a complete traitor. Meanwhile, she's doing videotapes and all of this other stuff, and eventually this all kind of comes out to show that the dissent overwhelmingly are just people getting paid by the U.S. government. They're not homegrown people that just find it intolerable to live and unfair and all of these other things. Everyone is challenged by economic problems, and and so much of that is the embargo of that country. So I guess the question becomes, are these people dissidents or are they criminals? And are others that are highly critical of the Cuban government somewhere in between? Mm. That's really, really the, you know, the kind of the perspective there. So with Pompeo, recent actions and accusing Cuba of being a state sponsors of terrorism, yet let's listen to this clip we put together some time ago, clearly indicating who has been the greatest victim of state-sponsored terrorism and suggesting who is the greatest state sponsor of terrorism in the Western Hemisphere. With respect to terrorism history, those that are familiar with Cuban and U.S. relations know that the Cuban revolutionary forces led by Fidel Castro and, and others came to power on January 1st of 1959. And almost immediately that same year, all sorts of terrible activities started and have continued to emanate from U.S. soil it's starting in 1959. At the end of the year, there was the U.S. military airplanes would, would, would camouflage themselves as counter-revolutionary Cuban aircraft. This is in 1231, 1959, the first year anniversary or whatever. And they dropped napalm bombs on oil refineries and sugarcane fields of Cuba. This is repeated behavior incendiary devices being dropped throughout the island to destroy the agricultural uh, entities and stuff that we'll talk about in just a second. On January 12th of 1960, napalm bombs 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 are dropped from covert U.S. aircraft and burned 10 tons of sugarcane in in the Havana province. Uh, I'm just highlighting a few of these. On February 18th, in fact, the U.S. pilot Robert Ellis Frost is killed when his aircraft is shot down while attacking a sugar mill in Montanzas province. It just proved outright that these were U.S. pilots and, and other things, although that was already well known. An increasingly covert and overt campaign of industrial sabotage was being waged in March of 1960 on March 1st. Secretary of State John Foster Dulles, now he owned land that had been confiscated as part of the agrarian reform law, and he refused all attempts to negotiation. And in March, a $100 million loan in 1960, granted Cuba by Western European banks is canceled in response to U.S. threats famous or the infamous March 4th bombing of the French freighter the Cubra loaded with Belgium arms and ammunition uh, this is in order for Cuba to defend itself against all of these aggressions It's blown up in Havana killing over 100 workers i think also it's important to highlight that uh, subsequent to these kind of in- military incursions by planes and other and bombings they evolved into biological attacks uh, 1968 a foreign specialist working for an international agency is expelled after he's confirmed to have introduced a virus Affecting coffee crops in Cuba, 1971, the African swine f- fever is introduced. The Cubans claim that the uh, container transporting the virus came from Fort Gullick, a U.S. military base in the Panama Canal Zone. That's later to be confirmed in testimony by Eduardo Aracena. Those involved have since testified to their part of it. The entire pig population of Cuba had to be slaughtered in 1971. Following the swine attacks in 1979, 10 years later, in 1979, 1980, two different strains of African swine fever are discovered, emanating from distinct areas of contamination. 300,000 pigs are slaughtered. Sugarcane, 1977, a cane smut is detected in eastern Cuba, never known before this disease in this, in this part of the world. Uh, 1978, a previously unknown variety of blue mold hits the sugar crops causing losses of approximately 344 million pesos. Sugarcane rust, another disease, 1978, a new variety of cane that they imported, Cuba did, from Barbados is contaminated with this new type of a disease, the sugarcane rust, and as a result over a million, 1.3 million tons of sugar are are lost. Also bovine, young cows and young bulls were introduced to viruses that took many of them and a a sudden outbreak of of a hemorrhagic, the terrible disease, dengue fever, Fever affected over 350,000 people in Cuba in 1981, 158 people were killed, including, I believe, 81 of them children died from this terrible disease. And it was later discovered to be exactly the same strain of the disease which caused an outbreak in, in a totally different part of the world, New Guinea, in 1924. So obviously it had been uh, introduced and In 1984, Eduardo Arasino, who I just referred to, a counter-revolutionary of Cuban origin and head of the Omega-7, one of these terrible terrorist groups that we safely reside in Florida, this guy stands trial and in U.S. under oath accused, the U.S. accused of the murder of Felix Garcia Rodriguez was his charge who was a Cuban diplomat to the U.N., and Aracena confessed under oath to having introduced, quote-unquote, germs into Cuba as part of the U.S. biological war against Cuba. Uh, I could go on with diseases that were introduced against their bees for honey, tobacco seedlings in 1991, uh, citric plants and rabbits, and that type of thing were contaminated by other types of biological diseases. And most importantly, over 3,500 lives have been claimed and died in Cuba as a result of these types uh, of aggressions. So Cuba is very, very aware of terrorism, and Cuba was the first country to come to our aid when 9-11 occurred uh, for airspace, for planes to land, and those types of things.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of information, um, 3,500 deaths. And, and you, know, you wonder how many kids died from, from the diseases that they're mentioning, and And you also wonder, you know, what do we not know about? You know, this is only the incidents that there's evidence of. You wonder how much happened that we're not aware of. I mean, I don't even know where to begin on this. uh, You know, Pedro, this these biological attacks that I don't know a whole lot about international law, but it would seem to be blatantly. It would. This would seem to constitute terrorism, right? I mean, from any, at least from my standpoint, it seems like the U.S. is the clear aggressor on this small island in the middle of the, of the Caribbean, and yet somehow we're in a bizarre world where Cuba is, is accused of being a state sponsor of terrorism.
0: I agree. So a couple of things. Number one, if any singular example of the, what, dozen examples that was given in that short clip had occurred in the United States and had emanated from Cuba, this is what they would call would be a pretext for war. You know, you don't introduce dengue fever and kill 81 children. You don't introduce sugar smut and destroy the sugar cane production in in hundreds of acres at a time. You don't introduce airplanes flown into Cuban airspace that drops incendiary devices on sugar plantations and, and those types of things and say that's anything less than an act of war. But before we go any further, we need to take a brief pause for the cause. You are listening to the premier community radio station of the nation, 91.7 FM, org. This is Bringing Light into Darkness. I am with Evan Solis. This is your host, Pedro Gatos, back after this.